give me the Bible, holy message shining. Thy light shall guide me in the narrow way. Precept and promise, law and love combining. Law and love combining. Law and love combining. Have you ever really thought about that phrase? I don't know how many times we've sung that song or how many times you have, but, but have you ever really considered the meaning of that phrase as we've sung it? After all, the Bible says sing with the understanding, right? It does. Have you ever thought about law and love combining? Have you ever thought about just how truly difficult, difficult it has been for God's people over time, throughout time, to properly combine those two things, law and love. To, to, to properly bring them together and, and combine them as, as God intended, whether it's love in, common, in combination and harmony, with God's spiritual laws, or whether it's love in combination and harmony with man's secular laws. Law and love combining. We are going to take a much closer look at that this morning in a sermon entitled, Of Love and Law. Of Love and Law because God's people have struggled with that mightily over the ages. You may recall over the course of recent weeks, um, two out of three of the previous weeks, we have uh, done a little sermon mini-series on being strangers and aliens from First and Second Peter. You may recall those lessons, hopefully you do, how we are to live differently, completely differently from the world around us. I did not intend for December to be a strangers and aliens month, but it's kind of working out sort of that way. If you think back on those two lessons, you may recall that in 1 Peter, there's a combination of love and law. In 1 Peter, chapter one, we talked about the great love of God, what it cost him to, to redeem us, that, that love that how we were redeemed with, with things not like silver and gold, but how we were redeemed by the precious blood of Christ. And he goes on in the latter part of chapter one to talk about how we are therefore to, to have love for the brethren like that love. And, and he talks about that love. And, and then in chapter two, he got into his theme of us living as strangers and aliens, obviously and, and totally different from the lost and dying world all around us in chapter two of 1 Peter verses one through 12. And then, then it's really interesting is right after that, Right after that, the very first example that he gives us, the very first of several different ways in which he said that we are to show that we are strangers and aliens is by our submission and obedience to man's and man-made laws. First Peter chapter two. Then 
We see this in, in 1 Peter 2, verses 13 through 17. And then, remember, he started with love in chapter 1. Then he gets to his theme of strangers and aliens in chapter 2. very first thing he talks about is, is how we're to obey man's laws or, or man-made laws, the laws of the land, whatever you want to call them. And then from chapter 2, verse 18, all the way up through chapter 3 and verse 17 at the least, he continues to show several other ways as to how we, as New Testament Christians, must exercise and exhibit that same strangers and aliens love. Did you see the pattern? Chapter 1, love. Chapter 2, strangers and aliens keep the law. That's part of love. Love, law, love. It's a sandwich. <laughs> love. Law, love. Law and love combining. The Apostle Peter both taught and lived the proper biblical balance, the combination of love and law together. For you see, while Peter emphasized in, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through 17, while, while he emphasized the importance that Christians are to obey the laws of the land, and we are. Don't ever mistake that. We are. He also knew that that was not a 100% of the time, all the time, no exceptions ever instruction. He knew that. Sort of like Moses' parents. Remember Moses' parents? Hebrews 11 and verse 23 says of Moses' parents, it says, By faith Moses, when he was born... Hebrews 11, 23, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. Did you get that? Moses' parents, by faith, he didn't have faith as a baby. He couldn't hear the word and do what God said. Faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. Moses' parents, by faith, didn't obey the laws of the land. They didn't obey the king's command. Aren't you kind of glad that Moses was kept alive? You see, it's not a 100% of the time, all the time, no matter what thing. And Peter, just like Moses' parents, understood that, even though he wrote that we are to keep the laws in 1 Peter chapter 2. Peter knew and understood and exhibited the proper biblical balance between obeying the laws of man and obeying the law of God and the incredible love, the incredible love that was the reason for as well as the result of the latter, that is, the law of God. Just like Moses' parents, in Hebrews eleven twenty three, just like Moses' parents, the Apostle Peter, by example, by example, taught us that when the laws of man contradict, counteract, or compromise the law of God, then the law or the word of God has to trump or has to take precedence over the laws of man when those laws of man seek to counteract, compromise, or contradict it. The law of God, when, when, when man's laws contradict the law of God, it is God's law 
that must be obeyed and not man's law. We, we know this. Well, how do we know this? Well, you remember the same Apostle Peter that wrote 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 17 said, Obey the laws of the land. It was that same Apostle who, when he was commanded by the authorities in Acts chapter 4, verses 18 to 20, through 20, not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus, this same Apostle Peter that wrote that answered along with John, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than God you judge, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. They were commanded not to speak in the name of Jesus anymore. That's what the civil authorities told them. That's what the religious civil authorities told them. Peter says, you judge whether it's right to obey God or men. We cannot but help speak what we've seen and heard. And as we know, and you can be open in your Bibles, if you would please, to Acts chapter 5. Join me there, if you would, please. As we know, that was Acts 4, 18 through 20. As we know, despite the authorities' commands and threats to the contrary, Peter and the apostles went out and continued to keep right on obeying God's command to preach and teach lost people the gospel instead of obeying men's commands not to. And guess what? They were incredibly blessed by God for doing so. We see this in Acts 4, 23 through 35. And then, when they were once again brought before the authorities for continuing to disobey the governing authorities' commands, by obeying and doing the commands and will of God instead, take a look at what happens in Acts chapter 5 and verse 27. When they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, did we not, watch the wording here, strictly command you not to teach in this name. Didn't we explicitly, strictly command you not to do this? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood on us. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. Peter understood that obeying the law of the land was not an all-the-time thing. When it contradicted the law of God or it contradicted God's command, no. He understood that the law of word of the Lord trumped man and man-made laws. He understood that. As a matter of fact, you want to talk about being strangers and aliens. As the conversation unfolds there in Acts chapter 5, Gamaliel comes in and tells him, he said, you know, uh, don't try to thwart these men too hard in case what they're doing is the will of God. I'm paraphrasing. Yes, we move on. We get to the end of Acts 5 in verse 40. They agreed with him. That is, they agreed with Gamaliel. And when they had called for the apostles and beaten them, they commanded Acts 5.40. Here we go again. Governing authorities commanded them that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So Peter said, okay, we need to obey the laws of the land and shut up and not preach. No, that's not what he said. Look what happens. So they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name, and daily, not weekly, not monthly, not annually, daily 
in the temple and in every house they did not cease. Despite the council's command to cease, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus. It's the Christ. See, Peter not only knew and understood and sought to live the proper balance, the proper law and love combining, the proper combination. He sought to live the proper balance between when to obey the laws of man and when to obey the law of God. He also knew and understood this. He knew and understood this. That the love of God was both the reason behind as well as the crowning touch, the crowning epitome, if you will, of the entire law of God. Don't miss that. Love is the crown, the, the crown jewel. It is the top. It is the, the crowning touch. It is the epitome. It, it, it completely sums up the entire law of God. Love is, 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 at, is the ultimate. It is the apex of the law of God. Peter had to have understood that. How could Peter not have understood that is, is maybe the question. How could Peter not have understood it? How many times had Peter been present? How many times do we read in the Gospels where Jesus had come right out and said, the first and greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Or heart, soul, mind, and strength, depending on, on, on which one of the, the uh, Gospels you read. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. These two, on these two hang all the law and the prophets. Did you catch that? All, all the law is summed up in this. You shall love the Lord your God with everything you got and love your neighbor yourself. Love is the crowning touch. It is the epitome of the law or word of God. All of the prophets and everything the prophets said can be summed up in godly love. He had heard that from his Lord, from his Savior, from his Master. See, the reason that Peter disobeyed man's command to stop preaching the gospel in order to carry out God's command to keep preaching the gospel was ultimately love. Pure and simple, straightforward love. It showed, think about it, think about it. They were to go into all the world and preach the gospel, right? They were given that command when the Holy Spirit came upon them in Acts chapter 2. They, they started doing this. They, that's what they were to do. This was God's command. They were to take the gospel. And when Peter did that, even though the governing authorities commanded that he not do it, when he did that, it was all about love. It, it began and ended and, and was culminated by love. And, and, and stop and think about it. Number one, it showed Peter's love for God because he was being obedient to God, right? Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments, John 15, verse 14, right? So it showed, number one, that, that he loved God because he was obedient to God instead of man. Number two, when Peter went about preaching the gospel to the lost, in spite of the governing authority's command not to, it also showed a love for those people because he's trying to teach them how to be saved. He's trying to teach those lost sinners what they needed to do to be saved and go to heaven. So it showed not only his love for God, but it showed his love for his neighbor because he was trying to save the soul, he was trying to share the soul-saving gospel with them. You know what? The most unloving, uncaring, 
hateful, ungodly thing that the Apostle Peter could have possibly done in this case would have been to have obeyed the laws of men to stop preaching the truth instead of continuing to obey the law or word of the Lord by continuing to teach the truth. The most unloving thing he could have done would have been to obey man's law instead of God's law. But the proper balance, this law and love combining, the proper balance or the proper combination or the, the, the proper connection regarding these three elements that, that you see up there, that, that man's law is to be obeyed, but unless it contradicts God's law, God's law trumps it, and, and above all of that, love is the crowning touch of, of the law of God. That, that is something that mankind has, has continually struggled with over the centuries momentously struggled with and still often fail to understand the proper how law and love combine. I mean, this has been a huge problem for a long time, especially when it comes to how the love of God is the entire point and purpose and pinnacle, the very epitome of the law of God. As we said, Matthew 22, 37 through 40 and a few other verses we'll get to eventually. Man has always struggled with how the love of God has to be a major component in any application of the law of God. Let me say that one more time. How the love of God must be a major component in any application of the law of God. Man has had such a hard time getting a grasp on that. This lack of understanding that I just mentioned of how law and love combine that we sing about in that song, Give Me the Bible, is one that Jesus himself had to continually strive to get people to, to figure out, to, to get their minds around. He had to constantly seek to correct. This, this concept of law and love combining in the proper way is one that the religious leadership of his day failed the most miserably to comprehend, and one for which they, for the most part, were most summarily condemned. This one principle. Think about this. Let me give you many examples of, of Jesus. They, di they didn't understand how love fit into the law. They, they didn't understand the proper combination. Con consider with me the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And we're very familiar with the Sermon on the Mount. You know, Jesus said in, in Matthew 5 and verse 38, you have heard it said, an eye for an eye. Right? Now, that may have been what their law said and what the law had said, but, but, but when you keep just that law and there's no love there, Jesus goes on to explain, no, that's, that's, there's got to be some love in proper combination with that law. And you, and you can go on and, and read in, in Matthew 5, 38. You know, in Matthew 5, 43 and following, Jesus says, you've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. You, you've heard that said, love your neighbor, hate your But I say to you, love your enemy. Pray for those who person. You can't just you can't just take that 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 black and white cold law 100% with no love, no mercy, no compassion. There's got to be and and don't don't misunderstand what I am saying. Don't because because men struggle with this. Don't misunderstand. I am not saying don't keep the law of God. Don't anybody go home. That's not what I'm saying at all. But God meant for His law to be kept with love in combination with it. That's what I'm telling you. And the Pharisees were so cold and so harsh and, and, and so there was no love and compassion mixed. Yeah, they did well with the law in some cases. They were, they were strict about keeping the law, but there was no love. And it turned with me, for example, to Matthew, Mark chapter 3. Look at this. 
there's got to be some love mixed in there. Love is not acceptance of sin. Sin is always wrong. But, but there's got to be a little love and grace and mercy and compassion mixed in. We, we see Jesus trying to, to show them how to combine God's love with the law that they knew and, and they just weren't getting it. Mark chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, it says, He entered the synagogue again and a man was there who had a withered hand. So they watched him closely, whether he would heal on the Sabbath so they might accuse Listen, the only thing that mattered to them, do not heal on the Sabbath or do not work on the Sabbath. That, nothing else. That was it. That, that cold, hard, absolute, lockdown, destroy anybody who gets in the way law. Now, did the old law of God tell them that they were not to work on the Sabbath? Yes. Yes, it did. Yes, 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 yes. When Jesus came along, he tried to show them that, that yeah, that's the law, yeah, but you've you got to have a little love mixed in there with the law. You're, you're, you're not, you don't have the combination law and love combining. They didn't get it. Look what it says. He said, verse 3, Mark 3, he said to the man who had the withered hand, step forward. Then he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? Listen, did Jesus ever sin? No. So when Jesus heals this man, did he sin and break the law? No, because God's law was meant to have some love and mercy combined with it, the, the proper mixture. They didn't get it. Jesus did. They kept silent. And when he looked around at them with anger, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out. The hand was restored as whole as the other. The Pharisees went out and immediately plotted against him how they might destroy him. See, they didn't get law and love combining. Just law or else. Jesus said, no, you've got, you got to keep the law, but there's got to be some love. When he tried to, to get them to understand that there's a combination there to be had, they went out and tried to kill him. That's how adamant they were about just the law, no love. We see this again and again, and Jesus tried to straighten him out. John chapter 8, 1 through 11, we know the story. The woman's caught in the act of adultery, dragged before Jesus. And in, in, in John chapter 8 and verse 5, they said, The law of Moses says that we, we stone her. What do you say? You know the story. The law says. Jesus gets down and writes on the ground. Jesus didn't sin. Jesus did not say the law was unimportant. Jesus did not encourage them not to keep the law. He didn't do any of it. The law was crucial. Crucial was God's command. But it was also God's command that there was some love and mercy and compassion mixed in there. This combination of love and law, they didn't get it. So Jesus writes on the ground and they ask him again and their complaint is, the law says we should stone her. What do you say? And Jesus stands up and he says, you know what he says, right? Let him who is without sin be the first one to cast a stone at her. He's down right on the ground. What was he telling them? You want just law? You want no love at all? Okay. What you apply to others is going to be applied to you. You want no compassion, no mercy? Okay. There's a combination here that we must learn and study. We finally, turn with me one more time. I mean, and the reason I give you all these examples instead of just one, I, I want you to know how widespread this has been. Even in Jesus' day, turn with me to Matthew chapter 23. Probably one of the greatest examples of, of no love at all in the law. And, and again, 
It's hard to teach this lesson because inevitably I'm afraid somebody's going to go home and say, well, Doug said it's not important to keep the law of God. And I'm, no, no, no. What I am saying is it's that it's important to keep it the way God intended it and Jesus kept it. Is that fair? And Jesus kept it with some love and mercy, with a, with a law and love combining. In, in Matthew chapter 23, again, you can read the whole chapter, he absolutely goes after the Pharisees' hook, line, and I mean, he just lays into the Pharisees' heart. And the summation of their whole problem is found in Matthew chapter 23, verse 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin. You, 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 you're keeping all the checklist but you've neglected the weightier matters of the law. Justice, mercy. You see the word mercy there? Mercy's in the law of God if God's law is kept the way the merciful God intended it to be kept. There's a mercy in the law. Jesus said, you've neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. Those you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Jesus isn't saying don't keep God's law. He's saying you've got to keep it with the mercy God intended to be in it. There's a difference. They didn't get it. Maybe even a better example of this law, of this love, law, love pattern or combination is put forward for us by divine inspiration through the pen of the Apostle Paul in Romans 12. Please turn there with me. Watch this. Watch this law, love, law, this combination. Again, Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12 is a fabulous passage on God's love and the love that we ought to have for one another. Romans chapter 12, start with me in verse 9. You want to see what love is supposed to look like in the church at Rome and the church everywhere else? Here it is. Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 9. Paul writes to the churches of Christ in first century Rome this. <clears throat> Let love, see there it is, starts right out with love. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. Everything he's writing is about love, 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 love in honor giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, contributing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. Is that love? That's what it looks like. And he continues, bless those who persecute you. That's right out of the Sermon on the Mount by Jesus. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Cry with those who are heartbroken is the idea. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. This is love. This is what Christian love should look like. Okay? Then he turns his attention to, okay, but what happens if you try to love people and they don't love you back? What happens if you try to love people and they dislike mistreat, don't agree with you, or don't love you back. What do you do then? Paul says, love them anyway. Verse 17, repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it's possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. He's telling them now how to love that he talked about in verses 9 through 16 when other people want to go after you, as it were. <clears throat> Beloved, this is the loving thing to do. Do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine, 
I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy, let's talk about how your enemies treat you. If your enemy's hungry, <clears throat> feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Summation, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Okay? Talking about love. Here's how you love. When people mistreat or disagree or don't like you, love them anyway. And then something really interesting happens. Something that, that really doesn't make a lot of sense on the surface. It might seem on the surface here as if the Apostle Paul completely and inexplicably changes topics. That, that Paul just, just stops one topic and, and goes in a completely different direction, a, a, a completely unrelated topic, like all of a sudden he shows up 10 days later and he's got something different to say because, because he goes from do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good with obeying the laws of the land. <clears throat> I mean, think about how much more sense to us on the surface it would make if verses 1 through 7 of chapter 13 were not in the sacred text. If it went from chapter 12, verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good, right straight to verse 8 of chapter 13, oh, no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves one another has fulfilled the law. Wouldn't it make more sense on the surface if we just took right out those middle verses because Paul hasn't been talking about obeying the laws of the land. He hasn't been discussing anything like that. And right in the middle of this discussion on love that would flow better from 1221 and right into 138, he drops this. But the Holy Spirit don't make mistakes. And the Holy Spirit, right in the middle of this discussion on love, has Paul record what he does in verses 1 through 7 on seemingly a totally unrelated topic. Why? Why now? Why right smack dab in the middle of a discussion on loving one another do we get that? The answer. The answer is absolutely vital and critical to our understanding if we're going to find the proper biblical balance between love and law. If we're going to find and understand how law and love combine. Because right here, all of a sudden, they are combined. You see, we'll get to verses 1 through 7 of chapter 13 in a minute, but I want you to understand a couple things beforehand. Number one, context is everything. In order to get the proper meaning of a passage, you need to read some verses before it, verses after it, right? We all know that, right? Can't just pluck it out of there, okay? Well, we've already read the verses that come before chapter 13, 1 through 7. We've read one of the verses that comes after it. I mean, we could read all of them down through 10. Well, let's do that. 13, 8. Oh, no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, they are all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. Again. 1221 right into 13.8 would make more sense, but the Holy Spirit put 1 through 7 in there in chapter 13. Why? Why? Number one. Context. 
We need to understand that any proper understanding of chapter 13, 1 through 7, any proper understanding must be seen in light of the love that comes before it, chapter 12, 9 through 21, and chapter 13, 8 through 10. Any understanding of, of, of the law has got to be within that context of flow because, because when this was written, there were no chapter and verse divisions. The sentence in verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good, period. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. That was the very next sentence. There was no chapter break. There was no, there was no none of that. It was just the very next line. It was an unbroken thought, even though it seems totally different, but it, it, it's not totally different. Here's how the context works, then we'll read the passage. In verses 17 through 21 of chapter 12, Paul discusses how the true Christian love, like he's been writing about, doesn't repay anyone evil for evil. It lives peaceably with all and even those who oppose them. And it does not take vengeance on anyone who does evil against them. Okay? Then he says, after he says that, Christians don't respond with evil for evil, don't, don't hate, don't take vengeance. Then he goes right into, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except from God and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, watch this, but to evil. They're a terror to evil. What's he just talked about in verse 17? Christians are not to repay anybody evil for evil. Chapter 13, he's letting you know whose job it is to repay evil for evil. Whose job it is to, because it's not a Christian's chapter seven, uh, 13. Uh, yeah, I'll get this right. Chapter 12, 17 through 21. That do not become, overcome evil with evil. Repay no one evil for evil. That's not a Christian's job. The reason that chapter 13, 1 through 7 is stuck in here, at least in the flow, is that you're to let the rulers do that. That's their job, not the Christian's. Do you want to be unafraid of authority? <clears throat> Chapter 13 and 3, do what is good and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, if you repay evil for evil, if you take vengeance, if you decide to really hurt somebody who's disagreed with you instead of loving them like you'd ought to, then you're going to get punished by the authorities. That's the authority's job. That's why that, that, that just flows. That, that's the way it's worked. That's the way the Holy Spirit put it in there. Therefore, you must be subject not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. He goes on in chapter, uh, he goes on in verse 6 to say, that's why you pay them taxes. It's their job to take care of those who do evil. You just love people. It's not your job to repay evil for evil. Your top priority as a Christian is simply to love one another. And that's what he goes back to in verse 8 of chapter 13. Once again, we see that Chapter 12, verse 9, through chapter 13, verse 10, reflected very well as a, as a visual. This pyramid serves. Consider again. The laws of man in their proper context must be obeyed by the people of God. While at the same time, the law of God, with love as its primary focus, must be even, is the very crux and top of that. It must take precedence over everything else, no matter what, even including the laws of man. Love is at the top. That's what it tells us here in Romans 12 and 13. 
You know, this isn't the only place that we find this in Scripture. Paul reiterated the same thing over here in Galatians. Keep your finger here in Romans, if you would, but go over with me to Galatians 5 for just a moment. Look at verses 14 through 16. Paul repeats this again. Galatians 5, 14 through 16. For the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. What does Paul say there? God's law matters. God's law is what it's all about. But the very epitome of that, the, the culmination, the, the crown jewel of the law of God is love. Because again, as Jesus said, you love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. That, that is the law summed up. And that's, that's the whole thing right there. So what does the practical application of everything I've said and everything we've seen look like today? The yes, we are to obey man's and man-made laws unless, of course, they contradict the law of God and the very epitome of that is love. Well, how does that work with us today? Well, there are many, 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 many illustrations, but as I was thinking about how to properly understand and, and put into practice this law and love combining, this, this proper mixture, I could not help but think that right now, in our government, in this nation, that they are in the process of legalizing or codifying, that is making code, what they are referring to as same-sex marriage. The Defense of Marriage Act, which was made law in the 1990s that stated that marriage is between a man and a woman has recently been struck down by our governing authorities. And they are in the process of recognizing, legalizing, and codifying what they are calling same-sex marriage. That's a law of man. But it's here. So that's what the law of man says, that it's okay. Now, the law of God says something totally different. The law of God calls homosexuality an abomination calls it a sin. And it also tells us that those who continue to practice that sin will never inherit the kingdom of God. Ever. It's an abomination before God. So, what's a Christian to do? I I'm shocked and amazed that anybody can answer any differently than I'm about to. I, it, it defies my imagination to have anybody answer this any differently who calls themselves a Christian than what I'm about to say. Obviously, we're going to obey God. Amen? Period. We're going to obey God. And, and how does that translate exactly, say, for a minister or a congregation? Well, I can speak personally as a minister. I understand that in the law there's some protections for ministers who say, even though it's the law of the land, I'm not going to perform this wedding ceremony should a same-sex couple come to me. But I must tell you that even if that weren't in the law, I've heard that it is, but even if it weren't, I would not do it. I'm deadly serious here. I 
would not do it. Well, wait a minute, it's the law of the land. I don't really care. It's not God's law. And when man's law is contradicted by God's law, then like Peter and John, God's law is, you, you decide who you're going to obey. I'm going to obey God. I wouldn't do it. But, 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 what about love, Doug? What about, and this is what you will hear should you come up with this conversation. What about the love, Doug, that you just said was the absolute point and purpose and pinnacle, the epitome of the law of God, some may say. What about love for these people, Doug? What about it? You know what the most loving thing that I can possibly do, should a couple come to me like that, you know what the most loving thing I can do is? Teach them the gospel, amen? Teach them that they can be saved. Listen, if a child is, is going to run out into traffic, you're not gonna, you, you live on a, like I brought this up before, but the early, the first preaching job I had, our, our church building was right by a main thoroughfare, and it was like, I think it was 55 out in front of the church building. We had a nice little driveway, and there's a gully there going up to it, but, but listen, if one of your kids or your grandchildren was, was playing ball outside after services, and they darted to that road with a 55 mile an hour speed limit, and the hill coming kind of down, blind behind some trees here, listen to me, I'm not going to sit there and cheer your kids on to go out there and play in traffic because they know they're going to destroy themselves. That is the least loving thing I could possibly do. I can't say, well, that's okay. You'll be okay. Let's celebrate that. Let's let you just continue on your little path to destruction. Please run out there. Go ahead. I'll even throw the ball out there. I want to encourage you to go play in traffic. That is not love. That is hate. And so I'm not going to encourage somebody who's headed down a path of self-destruction who can never inherit the kingdom of God as long as they continue in that sin. I'm not going to, I'm not going to encourage that by performing a ceremony, which is meaningless anyway because God said it's an abomination. What am I going to, I'm going to teach them the gospel just like I would any other sinner. Just like I would any other sinner because only in repentance and forgiveness through the blood of Christ will any of us be saved from our sins. I don't care what the sin is. And that is the most loving thing that can be done. Hey, will you look at that? Love is what it's all about. And it is not love to encourage self-destruction. It is love to stop self-destruction no matter what. Like I said, there is nothing any more unloving than to encourage behavior cause somebody to go to hell for all eternity. That's as hateful as it gets. I don't care what the world calls it. The world's got those two tags totally messed up. Isaiah 520. And, and, and again, I wanna go back to Romans. If you're still there in Romans 12, I wanna say something else too is, <clears throat> it's our job to teach them the gospel. It's not our job to commit acts of violence against them. This is something else the world doesn't understand. We've had this in the headlines lately. It's not our job to commit acts of violence against anybody. It's not our job to commit acts of violence. And, and some of these people that have gotten angry and emotional and, and, and shot or whatever, uh, some of those who, who are of the homosexual persuasion, that's not the answer. We're, we're not, again, verses 17 through 21, we're not over, that's not the way to do it. And if we do that, we deserve for the governing authorities to come arrest us, chapter 13, 1 through 7, because what we need to do, verse 8 of chapter 13, is love them 
that's the flow right there. I've just, there it is. It's right there in my Bible. I need to teach them the gospel, not take vengeance. But you see, this is the same point I started out with, and it's the point I'm going to conclude with. Fallible man has always struggled to properly understand and put into practice our faithful and loving God's love and law combining. I hope this morning that the sermons help shed a little bit of light on that subject for you, for all of us. I don't want us to be a generation or a congregation who falls into what mankind has for so long in not understanding there's got to be the proper combination of law and love and what that looks like. First off, yes, Christians are always to obey the laws of the land except where they would compromise the laws of God. In such cases, we are to keep the law of God and love is the absolute, godly, Christ-like, good of others first love is the one single greatest, highest expression and fulfillment of that law that one can ever accomplish. God said that, Romans 13, 8 through 10. True Christian love always takes priority and precedence over everything else. Because as God said again and again, it is the end, the fulfillment, the meaning and the purpose of the entire law. The lesson this morning is yours. I hope that it has been helpful and thought provoking in a good way. Love is the answer, it really is, godly love. Not acceptance of sin, no, properly combining. I'm going to leave you with the same words that the apostle closed his epistle to 1 Corinthians with. He said, watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave, be strong. Let all you do be done with love. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. This morning, if you've never obeyed the gospel, by being baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you're ready to repent and truly turn your life over to God and have your sins washed away, we'll be glad to assist you with that this morning. Once we are baptized, we rise to walk in newness of life, and that newness of life includes learning about things such as we have this morning, and they're not always easy, but it's a continual growth and learning process. Maybe you've been baptized into Christ, but you've faltered in that. We'll pray for you, help you in any way we can. If you have a need, we please come to the front as we stand and sing?